Please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Eight to ten-year-olds are dismissed to your class if you'd like to go up there. Ecclesiastes 7, 15 to 29 is our text. And while you're turning there, uh, just one more added announcement. Tomorrow night will be the uh, night for our anchored meeting. Uh, those struggling um, with depression, those who struggle maybe with anxiety, fear, whatever it may be. And, and the topic tomorrow night is going to be specifically designed for caregivers. So anybody's welcome to come to this, but uh, especially caregivers, those who seek to minister Christ and help to those that you love that are struggling uh, tomorrow night's for you. So that's from 6 to 8 at the chapel at Solid Rock Church, which is on Marina Street. More information's on the website. Um, I didn't look in the worship guide this morning, but I trust it's in there as well. Uh, but that's tomorrow from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Ecclesiastes seven fifteen to 29. Please follow along as I read. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life and his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Don't take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I'll be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the schemes of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. I've entitled this message, Do You See What I See? I don't know if you've ever had the experience of watching a sporting event with someone that knows nothing about that sport and they start to talk like they're an expert, why don't they just throw that ball in the hoop? Oh, good, good question. Uh, there are reasons they don't just throw that ball in the hoop. It's not easy to do that. Why don't they just hit the ball over the fence? Why don't they just bring it across the goal line? It's one thing to sit next to someone who doesn't know about sports, but then when they start to speak like an expert, it's quite the experience. I don't know if you've ever sat next to a person who is an expert at a sport, 
who maybe has coached before or played before, and they will tell you, see, see that linebacker over there looking that direction before the play? This is what they're looking at. Th- that, that's intriguing. You start to see something through the eyes of an expert. It's fun to listen to experts talk about their field. It's interesting, the details they pay attention to, the, the way that they see a situation that you would, and I would never see. It's interesting to go to an expert and to listen to them talk about their field. Well, here in this passage, Solomon is the expert on wisdom. We know that from 1 Kings 3. Solomon is talking about wisdom in this passage. The thing that he's an expert on, knowing and seeing the world rightly, didn't always live it out, but he sees the world rightly, knows it rightly, understands it. He brings us into a knowledge of what wisdom is like. He talks to us about wisdom. He teaches us about wisdom. He tells us benefits of wisdom in this passage. He tells us ways that wisdom isn't enough. And so we're seeing and learning about wisdom through the eyes of the expert in the Bible apart from Jesus Christ. The Bible actually calls him the wisest man to ever live. And he's talking to us about his field, wisdom. And as as I've gone through this this week and studied this, it just grabs my attention that the wisest man to ever live apart from Jesus, the one who understands the world rightly, is telling us how to understand wisdom. It's a big deal. So our outline this morning is three observations about wisdom. It's three observations that come from the eyes of Solomon and is meant to educate us. Three observations about wisdom. Here's the first. As Solomon looks at wisdom, he sees this, wisdom looks like fearing God. True wisdom is to fear and revere and to be in awe of God. That's what you get from verses 15 to 18. Solomon has been showing us, and he shows us in in these verses, that wisdom and doing the right thing in life only gets you so far. There's actually something more important than that. It goes to a deeper heart level, and that is revering God. And he's going to talk about ways that even righteousness and wickedness, the pursuit of each of those things, aren't enough for us. What we truly need is to revere God. He says in verse 15, in my vain life, I've seen everything. In my life that has so often not satisfied, so often been elusive. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Solomon's saying, if you look for satisfaction in the world, and you're looking for the righteous to live long and the wicked to to be judged immediately, you're not going to be satisfied. What I've seen, Solomon says, is all too often righteousness doesn't lead to long life. Now, we know in the Proverbs, you'll hear that righteousness leads to long life. And that's a truism about life. But Solomon's saying in Ecclesiastes, but it's not always that way. I've seen righteous people who perish in their righteousness. Young people on fire for the Lord, serving Him, dying. Jim Elliott, Robert Murray McShane. So much life, so much to give, dying young. Solomon says that that doesn't satisfy That's that's the problem. 
And there are some who are wicked and they prolong their life with evil doing. That's the plight of Asaph in Psalm 73 and David in Psalm 37. The wicked prospering. And we look at that and go, that's not satisfying to me. That, that doesn't fit. I don't like that. The righteousness suffer, the wicked prosper. Verse 16, Solomon says, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? And immediately we're uncomfortable. What's Solomon saying here? Don't be holy, don't be righteous? I mean, I guess the Bible's full of contradictions and the Bible doesn't make sense because in 1 Peter, it says, be holy as I am holy. Now Solomon's saying something different, so the Bible's a lie. No, it's not. We just need to understand what Solomon's saying. What does he mean when he says, be not overly righteous? Do not make yourself too wise. Is he saying, you know, be really good, but throw in a cuss word every now and then just to keep it real. You know, get angry at someone, tell them off just every now and then. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying if holiness is a 10, be an 8. What he's saying is if holiness is a 10, don't try to be a 12 or 13 and think that you're then going to take care of you and everybody around you. This is a call to not be self-righteous and to not find your ultimate hope for your future in your own righteousness that'll actually destroy you. That's what he's talking about. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? We see Jesus warn the Pharisees about judgment and death and consequences for their sin, and they themselves thought of themselves as the superiority, the, the, the superior ones and the righteous ones. They're the ones who made themselves overly righteous. And Jesus warns that they themselves would be destroyed from that. Self-righteousness will at one point destroy you. In the judgment, and sometimes before the judgment, in this life, the Lord allows the self-righteous to go through huge problems to show them that your righteousness isn't the thing you should be banking on. By consequence, you can also observe self-righteousness affecting other people around you too. When you've got an overly righteous standard for you and other people, it destroys people. Self-righteousness does not give life. It actually destroys. So don't find your hope in being overly righteous, going beyond what God has even required. Don't find your hope there. Hope is to be found in revering God, having your heart be in awe of Him. And then he says, what's a little bit more easy for us, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. That makes sense to us. Why should you die before your time? Overt foolishness, flagrant sin can destroy. People engaged in severe sin, huge sins, don't thrive. Drug addicts don't tend to live to be 90. That, that's the kind of thinking here. There are certain sins and, and a depth of sin that leads to death just because you're engaged in that sin. So he warns people in that situation, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. 
Don't think that you can just do whatever you want and you're going to find life. So to one person, don't be overly righteous. Don't try to go above and beyond to give you ultimate satisfaction, to give yourself ultimate satisfaction. But to the other person, stop the flagrant sin that you think is going to give you life. Why should you die before your time? So for one, the consequence is destroying yourself and the other is dying before your time. That's not good. Those aren't good. Verse 18, it's good that you should take hold of this, take hold of this truth And from that, withhold not your hand, grab onto it, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of these. They won't destroy themselves, and they won't die early. How do you not destroy yourself and not die early? You revere God. You tremble at His presence. You take joy in His character. You think about Him. You sing to Him. You talk to Him. You're enamored with Him. The fear of the Lord, hasn't it been the theme of Ecclesiastes, the applicational theme of Ecclesiastes? What do we do about this passage? Revere God. What do I do about this situation? Revere God. He says that all throughout. It's as if he's trying to send a message to where to find hope. So wisdom doesn't look like outward obedience or obviously flagrant disobedience. Wisdom looks like fearing God. When Solomon wrote to his son in Proverbs 1.7, he said, the fear of the Lord, revering God, being in awe of God, is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning. So oftentimes, we try to get the wisdom without the reverence for the Lord. And that's what Solomon is saying is backward. Don't go about it that way. Our instincts can be to think that if we do something the right way, It'll kind of put God in our debt and it'll work out for us. So young Christian parents are good at this. Hey, what books do I read to make sure my kids grow up and do all the right things, come to salvation, live long and prosper, have many kids so I can have grandkids? What books should I read? Careful. Be careful. Don't trust in your own wisdom, your own obtaining of wisdom to think that that will solve all of life's problems. Be careful. Let's start with you and the Lord. Let's start with your worship of the Lord, and then we'll go on from there. Whether it's parenting, money management, grandparenting, marriage, overcoming sexual temptation, we often look for wisdom when our hearts aren't revering the Lord to start with. And that's backwards. Start with the heart that reveres the Lord, and then we go and look for the wisdom. There is literally a book called 12 Daily Practices to Guarantee Tomorrow's Success in Christian Bookstores. 12 Daily Practices to Guarantee Tomorrow's Success. Now, that's a negative example, a perfect negative example for this passage right here, these verses. Solomon's saying, don't do that kind of thing. First of all, tomorrow's not guaranteed itself. See James for that. So we can't say that if I do this, I will be successful in the future. You don't know that there will be a future for you. Again, James is very clear about that. But then there's no daily practice that you can say, this will guarantee my success. This is exactly what Solomon's trying to get us not to think. 
but then we put those books in Christian bookstores and people are misled. You know, if I, if I called you and said, uh, hey, you know, I, I know that you know plants and uh, growing things and, and I, I, I bought this seed and it's supposed to, you know, blossom into this type of plant and I've been watering it. It's been put in the sun. Nothing's happening. Can you come over and take a look and tell me what to do? And you come over and you say, okay, where is it? And I say, there's the seed right there. It's sitting on the concrete right there. And you go, I've got a good idea as to why the water and sunshine isn't working. It's got to be in the right soil. Oftentimes we seek to water things in our life and put sunshine on them, get some wisdom, but they're not in the soil of a heart that reveres God. And so we go, why isn't this working? I read the book. I mean, that Christian book, that good Christian book, Holiness, J.C. Ryle, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, that seemed to work for her, but I read it and, ah. What's your heart like in going after the wisdom in that book, those books? It starts with reverence for God. And that's what Solomon's trying to get at. Don't find your hope in your over-righteousness. Certainly don't find your hope in trying to gain pleasure from the world and being foolish. Find your hope here. Revere God. Be in awe of Him. So by way of application in this first point, revere God. Don't think that the right books or podcasts or conversation with the right person will fix everything. Revere God and then pursue the wisdom. And obviously, by way of application, verse 17, don't be stupidly and flagrantly unrighteous. Stop the stupidity. Stop doing things that destroy you and even others around you. You're not going to find life there. Revere God. There's a second observation that Solomon the expert makes and that we get to see about wisdom. It's this. Wisdom looks like skill for difficult situations. Solomon looks at wisdom and says, ah, when you do exercise wisdom and there's a certain fear of the Lord, there's a certain way out of difficult situations. It's important for us to know that. So we're not, we're not saying wisdom's useless. We're not saying that at all. We're saying it starts with fearing the Lord. And then wisdom can be a great blessing. Solomon sees that wisdom looks like skill for difficult situations or skill to even get us out of difficult situations. And in verses 19 to 22, he brings out two types of situations. And we're meant to see, see, having a heart that reveres the Lord and using wisdom actually brings a benefit, brings a blessing. The first one is a blessing that can be brought to society. It's a person who defends a city more capably than 10 rulers in that city, or a person that, that brings health or prosperity or good to a certain society, a certain city, more than 10 strong rulers who try to control that city. That's what he's trying to get at. Verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. In a society, wisdom is better to curb the evils than just strong force. Don't do this. Don't do that. Okay, society? 
will be good if you don't do this and you do do that. That can only go so far. Wise leadership, wise people in that community, exercising wisdom, doing things that are wise, that will curb evil much better. Wisdom is better than force. All through Ecclesiastes, we see things wisdom is better than. Wisdom is better than relying on money. Wisdom is better than being angry. And here, wisdom is better than just strong rulers. Wise rulers are better than strong rulers. That's what he's saying here. There's a second example of wisdom helping you in a difficult situation. And it's not so much a societal one or one that is citywide. It's one that's very personal. This is about a person who is sinned against, who is cursed. Someone sins with their mouth against this person. And what they need to know, the one who's been sinned against, is that wisdom is teaching them that they sin against people too. So wisdom is kind of bringing some reality to the situation. Hey, did you know that she said this about you? What? Wisdom jumps in and says, cool your jets. Hold on a second. Verse 20, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That's wisdom speaking into that. So again, did you hear what Nancy said about you? How dare Nancy say that? Wisdom jumps in. Hold on a second. Is there someone on this earth, you included, who's never sinned? Oh, that's a good thought, wisdom. I should think about that wisdom. Wisdom goes on. Don't take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Why? Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So wisdom is saying, when you've been offended by something that someone said, cool your jets because you've offended other people with things that you've said. Now, that's wisdom getting you through a difficult situation. The tongue is powerful. We know that from Scripture, right? The mouth is powerful. The mouth often runs rampant. And wisdom is to be brought in to contain the mouth, to contain the tongue, to cool it off, to slow it down. And what's the wisdom? Hold on. Your problem isn't Nancy. Yes, Nancy's got a problem, but you've got the same problem. Yes, Nancy sinned against you in this way, but you've done the same thing. So let's not delve into all the ways Nancy's been wrong. Let's just remember that there's not anybody on this earth who's ever not sinned. Everyone's sinned, you included. So let's hold on there. That's wisdom talking. Solomon looks at wisdom and he sees that it looks like skill for certain situations. Wisdom brings blessing to a society or a city. Wisdom brings blessing to even friendships or relationships when you're tempted to go off on them because of what they've said about you. Hold on a second. Hold on. Let's learn from wisdom. It fits that, again, James, who talks so much about wisdom, says this. If I can find James. 
All right. James says this in James 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom looks like meekness. But Nancy said, I know what Nancy said. You've also said similar things. Wisdom looks like meekness. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't, be bo- don't boast about that. Well, I'm just righteously angry at Nancy. Don't boast about this, okay? And by the way, if your name's Nancy in here, this is not aimed at you. I just grabbed the name. <laughs> it's not even in my notes. Just Holy Spirit given. So, <laughs> I don't try to send messages that way, okay? <laughs> if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and get this, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That will lead to all sorts of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's wisdom speaking into situations where you've been offended and want to put self forward and get it all fixed. Wisdom says, hold on. Yes, she's sinned, but you've sinned too. Let's be wise here. You know, a piece of advice here when someone comes to you, by the way, if you're the person who comes to someone else and says, did you hear what they said about you? Don't be that person either. I had a disciple who said, never pass along a third-party criticism. Don't do it. And then he said, always pass along a third-party compliment. Hey, did you hear what she said about you? She was so encouraged by this or that. Always pass those along. Never pass along. Did you hear what she said about you? Did you hear what he said about you? But if you are the one hearing that, if you've got a foolish friend who says something like that to you, did you hear what he said about you? Listen to what Charles Bridges says. He says, it's often a matter of prudence not to examine these things too closely. So right there, say, oh, I don't need to hear it. I don't need to hear what Kevin, Nancy, you can relax a little bit. I don't need to hear what Kevin said about me. I don't need to know. I don't need to know. Well, don't you want to know? No, because I've said things about people too. And that would not be wise for me to know this. That's a good answer. So, breathe when offended, when someone slanders you, engages in libel, whatever it may be, gossips. Realize that you've done the same thing too and wisely respond to that situation. Maybe you can go to James 3 and go to what it says there and pray through that. Lord, give me this heart. Give me this ability to be wise. Give me your wisdom from above. And James 1 actually says if we ask for this type of wisdom, he'll give it. I believe that's actually talking about this type of meek, gentle wisdom, reasonable wisdom. So maybe you go there instead of flying off the handle.
So wisdom looks like skill for difficult situations. There's a third and final observation that Solomon makes. Wisdom looks deficient to solve the world's sin problem. Well, I thought you just said that wisdom can get us through certain temptations. Yes, it can. But wisdom doesn't solve every sin problem on the planet. There's still sin. There's still darkness. There's still people giving in to temptation. Wisdom isn't the great fixer of everything. Wisdom looks deficient to solve the world's sin problem. Why does it look that way? Because it is deficient to solve the world's sin problem. It's not enough. So on the heels of wisdom can help you in difficult situations, now he shows that wisdom alone won't solve a sin problem. Wisdom can help guard against sin, but it can't conquer it, can't exterminate it, can't destroy it. Solomon says, all this I've tested by wisdom. I said, I'll be wise. I've looked and seen so many wrongs, and then I determined I will do the right thing. I will know the right thing to do. I'll be wise, but it was far from me. It was elusive. Verse 24, that which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? I'm trying to use wisdom to analyze the world and to find satisfaction, and I think I'm doing it right, but then I'm let down. I see a righteous person die young or a wicked person prosper and live long. This, is, this wisdom that fixes everything is too deep for me. I can't, I can't get enough of it to solve all the problems, mine and others. You hear a frustration here. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things. Why are things the way they are? And to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. So he's trying to find this wisdom that would solve all these problems, but the biggest obstacle is sin. He can't get that obstacle out of the way. Verse 26, and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He, he looks at a certain type of woman that tempts and lures into temptation and he talks about her heart being snares and nets and hands being fetters to trap and to kill and destroy. Again, you see similar language in Proverbs 5, Proverbs 7, as he's warning his son about these types of women. He who pleases God escapes her. Note that. We'll say more about that in a moment. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her taken like an animal's taken into a trap. The sinner's taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, said the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought out repeatedly, but had not found out. One man among a, th one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Now, Solomon had a woman problem. We know that had many of them himself, had many wives, warns his son about the adulterous wife, the one who seeks to lure and trap. We know Solomon himself succumbed to that. This is not saying that Solomon didn't recognize virtuous women. We know from Proverbs he did that as well. In this, in this book right here, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 9.9, he talks about 
the blessings of marriage and having someone. Proverbs 31, he prizes the wise woman. Elsewhere, Proverbs 18, he talks about the blessing of finding a godly wife. So we know that he's not just throwing all women under the bus, but he is saying the world's full of sinful women. And it's also, by the way, full of sinful men. Can't find a virtuous woman in a thousand, just hyperbole. They're all over the place. Can't even find, I only find one in a thousand men. This is perhaps Solomon speaking of himself. Now, later on in life, some people think that Ecclesiastes is his repentance. I've sought after all these things. Women, satisfaction. I've sought after so many things. They don't satisfy. Friend, fear God. Revere God. Some people think this is Solomon's repentance here. And at the end of the day, he says, I'm the only one who gets this. The women and the men are all corrupted. But don't miss the larger point. Sin reigns over all, and it's a problem for Solomon. And his wisdom can't fix that. The wisdom is like arrows going into this big stone called sin, and it just can't make it budge, can't move it at all. Sin's a problem. Wisdom looks deficient to solve the world's sin problem. Then he says this in verse 29, see this alone I found, God made man upright. Take those thousand women, take those 999 men, take them all. God made us all upright and we sought out many schemes. Look at Adam and Eve, made them upright. This had this relationship with them that he created where there was certainly communion and joy and laughter and life and intimacy, fellowship, and that wasn't enough for Adam and Eve. They pursued many schemes, and guess what? We're all like them. Solomon concludes, this is what I found. God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. Problem isn't with God. The problem's with us, and wisdom can't solve the sin problem. So you take the person who's engaged in a sin that's, in, that's destroying them and other people, a person engaged in some sort of sin that they just can't shake. What's the solution? Here, read this book, 12 Daily Habits, to guarantee your success for tomorrow. That's not the solution. Wisdom doesn't conquer the sin problem. That's not the solution. Ten tips to guarantee you'll stop looking at pornography. Won't solve it. 13 ways to overcome laziness won't solve it. It will not solve the sin problem. You want to know what the answer is? How do you overcome pornography? How do you overcome laziness? How do you overcome a mouth that tears people apart? How do you overcome all that? The answer is in two places in this passage. Go back to verse 26. What's the way to avoid the adulterous woman, whether she's online or in person? What's the way? He who pleases God escapes her. It doesn't say the one who throws away his computer. It doesn't say the one who gets the, the different kind of phone. Those things can be helpful, can, be, can help, but it starts with fearing the Lord, revering the Lord, pleasing the Lord. It starts there, and then those things can help. Do you see that it starts with revering God? 
the way to avoid sexual sin, the sin of laziness, the sin of gossip, the sin of worrying about the future when you're in the hands of a father. All those sins, the way to avoid them is by seeing God rightly and living to please him. And then you throw the wisdom on top of that soil. That's it. So when you're counseling people, don't go immediately to the habits that they've got to do. Take them, hold their hand, and bring them back to God and say, I want to introduce you again to him. I want you to see what he's like from this passage, from this book of the Bible. I want to reintroduce you to this good father. And as they're reintroduced to this good father, this forgiving father, this saving father, this loving father, this gentle father, they start to love him and they say, I don't want those things. I don't want that. I don't want this. I appreciate him. I love him. I enjoy him. I'm in awe of him. The wisdom alone doesn't solve the sin problem. Pleasing God, revering God does. That's one place the answer is found, verse 26. The other place is in verse 13, isn't it? Um, oh, sorry, not 13. Uh, the one who fears God, verse 18. The one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Again, two places where we're told in this passage we can begin to overcome sin and avoid destroying ourselves and other people. It's found in fearing God, verse 18, and pleasing God, verse 26. So if you are caught up in great temptation, you're caught up in great sin, you don't need another book, you don't even need another conversation with someone, you need to come back and consider the character of your God. Think about what He's like. Rehearse back to Him what He's like. Talk to Him about it. God, I see You as the good creator. I see You as fatherly. I see You as… And the Scriptures are so full of His character. Just pick one place and hang out there for a while. Think about Him. Think about how He thinks about you, a wandering sheep, a wayward child who He loves. Go there first. And then go and seek the wisdom with the soil of a heart that reveres God. In the fight against sin, we need more than wisdom. We need a new love. Maybe we need the love that we once had before. We need a new awe. We need a new reverence. We need a new, a new being, a new being to have our hearts fixated on. We need to go back to God again. Again, just by way of illustration, if, if you're sitting with someone you know, at the coffee shop and they say, hey, can I meet with you? I'm struggling with this or that, and I've fallen into sin, and uh, I, just, I just can't stop my mouth, and I've hurt another person, or whatever it may be, and you sit down with them, and, and you're there to help them, and you say, I've got just the thing. Read this. I've got just a thing. Do this. I've got just the thing. You keep, you keep destroying people with your mouth. I got this roll of duct tape. I just want you to wear it. And every time you're in a conversation, just put it on and wait. Open your ears, listen. 
duct tape. Duct tape will solve it. Or this person's good Christian book. Read this book. Don't guide your friend into something to do first. Remind them of the way that Christ has spoken to us in the gospel. Remind them of the patience of Christ when we sin. Remind them of the forgiveness of Christ. Remind them that God's given us the ability to now as new, a new creation. He's given us the ability to speak words of life. Talk to them about that. Tell them, can you believe that God made us from people that want to go after people with our mouths, that he actually made us a people that can be gracious when we're mistreated? Can you believe that? Remind them. Bring them back to who their God is and what he's done. And when they say something like, I need to remember that. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that he has changed my heart. Why would he ever be gracious to me? Why would he speak words that comfort me in the scriptures when I've just slaughtered people with my mouth? Why would he? You could pick any. When they start to get that, then say, now what are some ways that we can kind of protect ourselves here? Hey, have you thought about maybe reading this book? Let's read this together. But the soil of revering God has to be where the flower of wisdom sprouts from. In the fight against sin, we do not need more wisdom. We need a new love. We need a new awe. Listen to what Richard Sibbs said. In times of temptation, apprehensive consciences look so much to the present trouble they are in than, sorry, look so much to the present trouble they are in that they need to be roused up to behold Him in whom they may find rest for their distressed souls when there's a temptation, when there's a trouble, when there's something vexing us, we so focus on that, on him, on her, and that situation. We're so focused on that, and Sibs is saying they need to have their hearts roused up to behold him, the character of God that then causes us to find joy and worship and awe and reverence, and then we come to our situation and say, now, with a heart at peace because of my heavenly Father and his love for me, how do I approach this? How do I approach that? Sibs is just saying, we so look at the problem instead of our Savior, revering Him. And this all reminds me at the end of the day of what Pastor Jason read earlier, Isaiah 53. God created us good. We've sought out many schemes. And listen, wisdom won't solve our sin problem. We need someone to come and suffer for the sins that we've committed. And to not stop there, but to give us a new life so that we no longer want to do those sins, but we want to live righteously. We need that. I've got good news. That's exactly why Jesus came. He came to bear our iniquities and to give us life and to give us a righteous standing and an actual Holy Spirit that gives us the desire to live righteously. He did all that. So where Solomon ends and says, wisdom won't solve the sin problem, sorry, Christ comes in and says, I've got something for you, Solomon. I came to solve the sin problem, and I came to suffer for them and to give them righteousness and to give them a new heart that loves righteousness. I will take care of this.
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, spitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have sought out many schemes of sin. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah says. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord, here's the solution. It's not in man-made wisdom. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The solution to sin isn't wisdom first and foremost. It is Jesus Christ, the Savior who died for sinners and makes them righteous. That's the solution for sin. The Savior rose again, proving that there's something to what he did. God accepted that. God approved of that sacrifice. If you're not a Christian, and you find yourself struggling with something in life, some difficulty, some problem, wisdom won't fix that for you. Jesus Christ came to forgive and to give new life. I'd encourage you to put your hope in Him. Find out more about Him. Trust Him for eternal life. So friend, read the Scriptures to look for God. Read the Scriptures find yourself in awe of him. Can I just give you some practical pastoral advice? Don't find your hope in just reading the Bible. Find your hope in getting the Bible into your heart, the character of God into your heart. Be enamored with it. The whole read your Bible at this speed through in a year or whatever it may be, that can be risky because we can put our hopes and efforts in our own wisdom. I'm going to read this new Bible, do this new plan, and I got it. The question at the end of the year or six months or whatever it may be is, have you seen the glory of God in the pages of Scripture? Have you been in awe of what He did here, what He does there, what He says here? So read your Bible slow enough to let it sink in. Pause whenever the works of God are displayed or the character of God is revealed. Pause and think about that for a bit. Talk to him right then and there. God, I praise you for continuing to be a savior of your people when, when we keep doing things like this in the book of Judges. I praise you for sending your son to the cross. I praise you for giving me an inheritance. And just think about that for a bit. So the magic isn't just reading this through. Okay, I did it. Now why isn't everything right? No. Meet with God through his word. Talk to him. Hear him speak through his word. Revere him. Now put on the wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Go there. So if you are struggling, if you are finding yourself dry spiritually, if you're giving into temptation, read a book of the Bible slowly and see the character of God in it. I would start right there. Maybe do that with someone else and talk about the character of God together. It becomes doubly effective when we share those things together. Revere God. Fear God. Be in awe of God. So Solomon could ask, do you see what I see about wisdom? Do you see the things I see? 
Do you see that wisdom looks like fearing God? Do you see that wisdom gives skill in certain difficult situations? Do you see that wisdom looks deficient, though, in conquering the sin problem? Do you see all that? I hope you see all that. And then it's as if Christ would say to you, do you see that I came to conquer the sin problem? Do you see that I am glorious? My Father is glorious. My Spirit is glorious. Do you see our character, our being? Do you see? Do you see me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that does give life. Thank you for your character. Whether we go to Isaiah 53 or John 21, or Genesis 1, or Genesis 3, or Psalm 22. Any page of our Bible, we can go and see your greatness, your goodness. We see you as you are. So, Father, give us eyes to see your goodness. And then from there, let wisdom do its work. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.